0: You know, God is good. Yes, some of us, you know, if we are honest with ourselves, unless God came through with 100% of all the things we ever wanted, might still not believe that He was good. If 99% of the things that were right were good, but 1% was wrong, we concentrate on the 1%, not on the 99. But you know, God is good. He's good. And you know, in this series that we've been doing, for all the things that we've seen, one of the things that hopefully has come through to you is that God's will is that we should prosper and flourish. I don't find a verse in the Bible anywhere that says, God wants to keep you poor to keep you humble. I can't see anything like that. Now we know, please hear me, that prosperity and wealth should never be our aim. Our aim is that we should love God and love our neighbour. And we should live our lives for him. Yet there's so many promises in the Bible about the the blessings of obedience when we do, that we just can't ignore them. You know, we, We should expect God to bless us, not believe that it's God's will for us to be miserable and poor. What keeps us humble is the knowledge that if we do things our own way and step out of loving him first, then all that we have may disappear quickly. In addition, we, the, Paul says this in, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. So it doesn't, your circumstances shouldn't be the thing that decide how you're going to respond to God. I think we should all be really, really thankful for the blessings it is given. But you know, there, uh, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church in the 17th, 18th century, I think it was the 18th century, He he said this one day, he said, I can't keep my people poor. And he said it kind of plaintively, because the thing is that he preached to the poor of his generation. He used to go out to the streets and and, and to the miners and to everybody and preach to them in the open air. In fact, he was so unpopular with the the religious establishment of the day that they actually uh, closed most of their pulpits to him. They said it's undignified to go and preach to the poor, is what they said. But he said, he said, I can't keep my people poor. What he meant was that when he first started with them, they were all the poor. But because they put gospel practices into their lives, because they lived the way that they ought to live and should live, it found out that they prospered. And he kind of got this feeling that he almost wished they were poor because for some of them, the, the, the fire that first set them on, the fire of the gospel set them on fire, it sort of disappeared a little bit and waned a bit because they got rather comfortable. And of course, that's always a danger, isn't it? That when we get comfortable, we forget God. You remember Moses, just before the children of Israel went into the promised land, he gave a very big, long sermon. You'll find it in Deuteronomy. And basically, one of the things he said was, when all the battles are over, when you're in the promised land, when you've got the milk and honey, he said, just be careful you don't forget the Lord. Because it's easy when you get prosperous. But that doesn't mean to say that God doesn't want to prosper us. Hear me. It's this, you know, we've got to hold these two things in tension. And there are three gospel related practices that I want to look at today that will often result in prosperity. Three principles for what we call financial flourishing. And the first one, a very popular one, this one, is work hard. Work hard. There can be an attitude in society, we should just do enough just to get by. But this should never be true of people who are the Lord's. If you read in Ephesians 6, it says this. It's talking about slaves and their masters. It says, obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So these were talking to slaves. He says, work hard. We, we, know, that, I mean, we know there's a lot that went wrong with slavery. All right? But you understand the principle. He was saying, work to the best of your ability, even in circumstances that you may not wish to be in. But, of course, this isn't everyone's attitude. Uh, Here's a famous quote from Jerome K. Jerome, he says, I like work. It fascinates me. I could sit and look at it for hours. (laughs) I think this one next describes many of us. He says, the brain is a wonderful organ. It starts working the moment you get up in the morning and doesn't stop until you get to the office. (laughs) I think we can all sympathise with the next one. In bed, it's 6 a.m., Close your eyes for five minutes, it's 7.45. At work, it is 1.30. You close your eyes for five minutes, it is (laughs) 1.31. A bus station is where a bus stops. A train station is where a train stops. On my desk, I have a work station. (laughs) But that hard work isn't always a guarantee of necessarily that others will benefit from what you do. I was a teacher for most of my life. And uh, if I look at some of the uh, responses I got on exam papers, I wondered what I was doing for the the rubbish I got. But I love this one. Look at this. Uh, Look at it for a minute and read it. Read it. Read what it says. Take a minute to sink in that one. But it does say, Dear English teacher, as long as the first and last letters are in the same place, you can still read this. Sincerely, spelling is not that important. Interesting that, isn't it? But, but whatever, whatever the results that happen from the work we do, remember, we are working for the Lord and not for man. That's where our work is credited. Remember, it was God who invented the idea of work, that it was good for us. I mean, back in the Garden of Eden. God, I mean, God could have done anything. He could have created a class of, I don't know, animals or, I don't know, that would serve Adam, do everything. I mean, it was Eve, of course, but I'm talking about, he could have, you understand, he could have created a class of, of animals that, that, did, that met his every need and every whim and everything, and all he had to do was sit and admire the view. He could have done that. But actually what he did was he said that, um, that Adam was to work the garden. That was his daily occupation. He had to work at it. Genesis 2.15 says that God put the man in the garden to work it and take care of it. I always remember the story of a a, a vicar who was passing a a, a chap in the village who was was well known for his beautiful garden that he'd got. And the, the vicar said to the gardener, he said, he said, isn't it amazing what God and man can do together? And the gardener said to him, yeah, but you should have seen what it was like when God had it to himself. <laughs> we are called to work with God to create the things that are useful. And we were all created to work. We all find yeah, that, that, that when we do work, we find fulfillment when we're usefully employed. That's why it's a tragedy for every person who cannot work, whether it's for health, or for perhaps by being made redundant. What a word. What a word. Redundant. Sounds like useless. No good for anything. Where actually every person is good and worth their weight in gold when they're doing the work that they are called to do. So nothing could be further from this. If you've been made redundant, you are not redundant in God's, in God's eyes. Please hear me. He'll find the right thing for you to do that's going to bless you and bless others. I love this statement. Set goals, say prayers, work hard. I'm not sure about the order of the first two. I don't know whether it should be to say your prayers first and set your goals afterwards, but those two things probably kind of uh, intertwine with each other. But set goals. What are you going to do? What do you want to achieve? Pray for all your heart that you'll be able to achieve them. And, uh, And then we will find that God will enable us to work hard to do that. Now, there's, there's books in the Bible that talk a lot about, about work and how we, how we should work and what we should do. There's a, the book of Proverbs is a really good example of one. And, uh, and it's got some really wise things it tells us. So the first one I want to show you is, Wealth from get-rich-quick rich schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows. I think we all understand where that comes. Then, how about this? Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. Good stuff. In Ecclesiastes and other wisdom books from Solomon, he says this: He says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Really important. The contrary to that is in, in the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says that the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. The, the context behind that one, of course, is that in those days, they kind of believed that Jesus was going to come back any moment. Now, we believe that Jesus is going to come back sometime, don't we? We, we don't know when. We, most of us kind of think it's still going to be soon. But we don't know when God... But the, the, in, in the New Testament days, they really believed that God was good, That Jesus was going to come back really quickly. So some people sat around and did nothing. They said, what's the point of working? What's the point of doing anything? Well, let's just wait and pray and sing songs until Jesus returns. And Paul had to say to them, No, if you will not work, then you are not worthy enough to be fed. And that's the thing that God says to all of us today, let's never get into the wrong attitude. Now, please, if you cannot work for health reasons, please relax. God does not demand of you what you cannot do. But of course, if you're just lazy, if you're just lazy, Kate gave us that wonderful sermon last week, if you didn't hear it, go, go and listen to it, about the man who buried his coin, his miner, in the ground or meaner or minor, who buried it in the ground. And, and the master came back and said to you, lazy and wicked servant, you didn't put to use what God had actually given you. So hard work, even if it's just voluntary. Listen, if you can't do paid work, find something voluntary, something you can do, something you can put your hand to, something that will bless somebody else, something that would actually bless you in doing it. So even if it's voluntary, it's what God created you for. And he'll reward you for your heart attitude. And I, I think that's what happened with, you know, with behind John Wesley's statement we met, we met earlier. He said, if you work hard, even when no one is looking, then your bosses will recognise the fact you are a good and trustworthy and reliable person and you are likely to get promoted and get, get pushed up because of the kind of person that you are. But I just want to give a word of caution here. Uh, We we say work hard. There are some Christians, and I think we've probably all met them. Maybe you're one of them. I don't know. Who have a kind of perfectionist tendency, uh, in in as much that that I mean, you know, when I was a teacher, there there was no end to the work I could have done as a teacher. I could have been working from six o'clock in the morning till twelve o'clock at night. Tweaking my lessons, trying to make sure it was a little bit different, making it a bit better. I had one, one colleague who was, a, who was part-time. She was only working three days a week. She used to work till midnight most nights, marking, tweaking, doing this, doing that, doing the other. I had to tell her, stop working so hard. No one expects that of you. Find ways of doing things more efficiently. Because your family comes first before work. Can I say this? Your family comes first before work. Now, for some of you, I know there are seasons where we have to work hard. Yeah? And maybe we have to work more hours than we would like to give. But that's for a season. You'll probably all remember this uh, uh, statement. I've heard it several times from different places. There's no one on their deathbed said that they wished they'd spent more time in the office. Most people would say, I wish I'd spent more time with my children or my wife. You with me? There is a limit to what you should do. When you work, work hard. But don't be deceived by the promise of a job that, make, that pays you a great big salary but demands 15 hours a day of your time. Don't be seduced by the fact because ultimately money will not make you happy. You know that, don't you? Money will not make you happy. But good hard work is something that we are all created to do. I love this quote from Proverbs. It is, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Yeah, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So we should work hard, but let's just make sure we don't work harder than we should. So that's one principle that uh, we are talking about this morning, that will prosper us if we work hard. A second one that we, will, that we want to do is that we need to avoid debt. Now, I don't know how many of you know, but, but I work for the church with an organisation called Christians Against Poverty, and I spend much of my time going out and meeting people who are in debt, in serious financial trouble. And the reasons why they get themselves into trouble are many and various uh, often it's because of a relationship breakdown. The, the, the husband it's usually the husband's disappeared, left the wife with the kids and the debts, uh, which is really not, you know, obviously a horrible situation to be in. But, but the other kind of situation is where people have just been basically silly with the money that they've got. Remember, years and years ago, I was when I was a teacher in in Hemel Hempstead. I remember I uh, took part in David Copperfield, who we did a school production, and I played Mr. Micawber. And uh, if you remember, actually, Matt sent out this quote uh, that uh, is, on the, is on the screen here uh, in his message this week, and uh, you say you may have seen it already. But uh, it, it, it bears saying again, it says, My other piece of advice, Copperfield said, Mr. McCorber, you know, annual income, £20, annual expenditure, nineteen nineteen and 6, result, happiness. Annual income 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 20 pounds, autumn six, results misery. The blossom is blighted, the leaf is withered. The God of day goes down upon the dreary scene, and in short, you are forever flawed, as I am. You can imagine what situation that he was in. The scripture makes it very clear that in Romans 13, it says, "8, it says, "Let no debt remain outstanding." Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. But let no debt remain outstanding. Now, if you want, and one of the things we we trust is happening with you through this six weeks that we're doing, if you want to be a giver, that's the thing that God wants in your heart. He doesn't want you to be a hoarder. He wants you to be a giver. And if you want to be a giver, you've got something to give. And if you are in debt, you're probably giving more to the credit company, credit card company, than you are to God. I mean, I've dealt with some people who have had incredible difficult I mean, some, some while ago I was dealing with a couple 60,000 pounds of credit card debt. Do you know how much they were paying in interest alone every month before they even started to pay anything off in, in terms of capital? They were paying well over £1,000 a month just in interest charges on that. No wonder they were in trouble. You know, and the trouble is that our society is built on debt. Yeah? If you look, look at these stats. All right? They're really staggering. I mean, the average, last year, the average UK household debt was £59,288. The average household debt in this country was 58, 59,000 Now that, that does include houses, mortgages, right? But even so. What, a, what an amount that that is like that. Personal individual debt totaled 1.613 trillion pounds and expected to rise to 2.26 trillion by 2022, just in three years' time. Credit card debt alone, that his personal debt here, is £72.6 billion, which means every house in the UK has an average debt on credit cards of £2,668. The average family in this country has that amount of debt. Between July and September last year, someone was declared bankrupt every five minutes and 16 seconds and every two hours a house was repossessed. The Citizens Advice Bureau dealt with an average of 2,464 debt issues every day last year. That's the situation that our country is in. I want to tell you this morning that that shouldn't be something we share. Yeah? The fact as Christians, as God's people, it should not be something that we share. And I want to talk to you a bit about that in a minute. Because do you see, the trouble is, debt is a form of slavery. Is a quote again from Proverbs a borrower is slave to the lender. It's true. This borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, there is what I might describe as good debt, and I would classify in that things like a mortgage. In the sense that, although you're paying back lots and lots of money in the end, ultimately you've got an asset which is usually worth more than it was to start with. All right, And so therefore it's probably something that most of us would consider to be a, a reasonable thing to get into. But most debt is unwise. Do you remember when credit cards first came in? I can remember this. This is, this is with access. Do access happen anymore? I don't know. But anyway, this is access anyway. It says, take the waiting out of wanting. Take the waiting out of wanting. It's wanting today what you can't really afford. And the trouble is that if you can, you might be able to afford the repayments today. But all it needs to happen is that you get ill, or you, you know, or, or you lose your job, or something like that, and suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you can't repay it, and there's no asset left to repay. And as I say, my, in my day job, people in good times take on financial commitments. But as the relationship breaks down, people are made redundant. They can't even afford the interest. And as you all know, typical credit card rates, 20% interest, 20%. Store cards, 30%. Payday loans, you leave them on the bottom of the screen. 1,216% or something similar, which people are having to pay back in order to uh, relieve the debt. Now, actually, I mean, I actually have a credit card and I use it for convenience because sometimes there are things that are useful because it gives you guarantees if you use it on certain purchases like that. But actually, I've always got money in my bank that I've saved so that I can always pay that back if I ever need to. You've got the idea. I am not in debt, I'm just using it for convenience. But the thing that we should never do is get ourselves in a situation where we can't pay things back. And of course, you know, sometimes you can get a better deal for paying in cash because remember the retailer has to pay a fee to the, to the credit card company for the privilege of using their credit card. So if they're not having to pay that, you might be able to generate a better deal by paying in cash, by paying what you have saved up for. And can I say this just really, really, really strongly? Don't get into the situation where with these things are where you're trying to take the waiting out of wanting. Please. Do you understand that? Because the best thing to do is to save up for it. It's cheaper. You might have to wait for it. You might not get you what you want this year. But you can have it next year and you know there's never going to be a a penalty for you because it's yours. No one can ever come back and ask you for the money again. So all this is really useful to help us to avoid debt. But what if you're in debt right now? What if you're in trouble right now? What if you're in a situation where your outgoings seem to be bigger than your income? And can I just say, first of all, with all of this, and with something we're trying to get you to understand uh, th- that we really believe is God's will, and that is to get your giving right first. Get your heart right to give first. You know, it's very easy to say, when I get myself out of trouble, then I will give. But the problem with situations is quite often that you've got yourself in a situation where you are spending what you cannot afford to spend. You've paid out for things that you really, you know, like you bought a new car on finance. Do you know what I mean? And it's costing you I don't know how much a month. And so much of that is actually interest to the finance company. You know, if you read the book uh, that we're following, um, uh, Robert Morris' is The Blessed Life, you'll find that he found himself in a situation early in his life where he was in debt and what he decided to do, he was, he was buying a car on fi- finance and he decided he would sell the car, get the money, buy a, buy a cheap older car so that he could use that money to pay off the debt. If, he was, if you are serious about getting out of debt, it is perfectly possible to do. He said he had to anoint his car with oil. About a liter a week. <laughs> All right, but but do you understand? It, it, if we want to do it, we can do it. And you know, and, and so I don't want to say, you know, we we so if your heart is saying, sometimes some people say, I, I really really want to give to God and I can't do it at the moment. Give what you can. You know, we're talking to people to give a tithe if they can, but if at the moment you can't even give a tithe, give something. With the promise that when your situation, when you're drastically dealing with your debt, that you can get to a situation where right now, right, I'm now clear of all that. Now I can give what I want to give. Do you understand? Because I want to be a giver. You know, there are people, you know, you, the, the testimony is always this people who say that they tithe say that God blesses them, people who do not tithe say they can't afford to. And, and the thing is that if you're in a situation where you've looked at your 90% that you've got left, you see, what, what you've got to do in the basis of this is also to budget. To budget. To actually look, where is my money going? I love the thing that Kate said last week. She says, know your bandits. Do you remember what she said? Know your bandits. Know the things that rob you. Know the things you spend money on that actually you shouldn't uh, really be able to do like that. So, I mean, if you want to give, there are things you don't you're not able to do because of the fact that you don't. Have, you know, you so say if you give and you say, well, I must have my foreign holiday this year. You know. Uh, and so you get it on credit. You can see the way that it, it's so easy to do that. You look at your budget and you say, what can I spend my money on? What am I wasting it on? Uh, there's, a, there's a lovely thing. I was talking to some of the young people about this in their session during the service a few weeks ago. That if you, uh, if you have five cups of coffee you bought from, I don't know, Starbucks, uh, and you, you cut it down to two a week, you can actually save £300 a year. Just by doing something simple like that. Take sandwiches into work instead of buying something in the canteen. There's all sorts of things you can do to save money if you are really wanting to do so. But if you are in serious debt, you may need to call in an organisation like Christians Against Poverty. And by serious debt, I mean that you can't afford to pay the interest on your credit card, let alone get the capital down. And if you've ever been subject to people, to credit card companies and people like that, ringing you and ringing you and ringing you. I remember once I was with one particular client and while I was sitting there, one particular credit card company rang three times asking her for money and you can imagine that going on day after day after day you are afraid to pick your phone up you are afraid to answer the door because you think it might be the bailiffs coming around to take all your property away if that is you here this morning and I'm guaranteed there'll be some people for whom that is true today even here in church but I want to tell you there's hope there is hope see what we do at Christians Against Poverty is we take all your debts from you, all the paperwork from that, and we negotiate directly with the credit card companies and all the other people. Because you see, whenever you deal with one particular company, they think they're the only person you owe money to. They don't care that you owe money to three or four other people. They want their money like that. But if we we present them a balanced budget of what you can afford to do and then we divide, so we look at what your disposable income is, how much you could afford towards your debt and then we uh, divide that equally amongst the credit card companies and they work with us. They work with us because they realise that somebody at the other end is trying to get their lives back on track and they are wanting to sort things out. So we do all of that. We ask them to stop all the interest and they will normally agree. Most companies working with us will actually stop all the interest payments. Now, if you can repay your debt within five years, we ask you to do that. So you can afford £50 a month. And so therefore, if you can repay back the money you owe within five years, we'll ask you to go on a repayment plan. And I do this, remember, we not just with Christian people. I do it with all sorts of people. I've dealt with atheists, Buddhists, Hindus. I mean, goodness knows all the people that I've dealt with when we do this. Um, and if you can do it within five years, then that's what we recommend. If you can't, we recommend bankruptcy. And of course, bankruptcy is, is, I mean, some people think it's a horrible thing to go bankrupt and it's not easy. But you know what going bankrupt does? It gives you a fresh start. It gives you a complete fresh start. Some people need a fresh start. Some people have got themselves into such difficulties that unless they are given a new start, they will drown. And that's why actually it's a good thing and I will recommend it. Do you know what it's rather like... When I first became a Christian, I did not understand all the level of the the ways I'd hurt other people, the ways that I had uh, hurt God, that I was actually building up a, a list of debt to God and to other people that I could not repay. And I was burying my head in the sand about it just like people do with their money. They, they try and avoid it until yeah, it gets so bad that they don't know it. And I got to a stage where I, I I'd never, didn't realise how bad it was until someone said to me that Jesus would wipe all my sins clean and take the burden of it away from me. And that's the most beautiful picture, that he came and paid the price so that I could have a new life free from all of the, uh, the, the, the penalty and the guilt and the shame of the way that I used to live. And I want to tell you this morning, if that's you, if you've never actually owned up to the fact that Jesus has paid the price for your sin, and you've, never, you've buried your head in the sand, you think you've just been a nice person, a good person, but you never really understood for yourself actually what the weight of stuff is that you've done wrong. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus waits for you with open arms, waiting to solve your bankruptcy with his love this morning. So as a church, we support Christians against poverty. And we just, I just want to ask you this morning whether you would like to as well. And there are several ways that you can do this on your, sh- on your sh- uh, um. Seat, you'll see this little leaflet called Nevertheless. Uh, we'd like to give you this book. It's a book called Nevertheless. It tells you the story of the charity, how it worked, uh, and the most amazing uh, miracles that happened to establish the charity in the first place. And in order to get... That book. All you have to do is fill in the my details bit. Now you can give money if you want to. My aim this morning is not to, to ask you for money. Particularly if you want to, you can fill in your details to give money as what we call a life changer. But all if you want to do, if you want to fill in your details, we'll give you the the booklet, and then as a response to that, we'll send you out an email once a month from Capic quarters to tell you the sort of work that we've been doing and what's happening and how God is using us and all of that sort of thing. So if you like, a copy of the book. Uh, then just fill this in. There's a, there's a table out in the cafe there where you can take this filled-in form and uh, you can uh, re- redeem it for a book if you'd like it. Uh, we have a prayer letter that goes out uh, once a month. Where I tell you all the people I'm dealing with and what's happening. Uh, if you'd like to receive that prayer letter, there's a, there's a thing out in the cafe for you to sign. Uh, you could become a befriender. Those are people that come out with me to visit uh, the, the clients that, that, that book in to see me. Uh, and and i tell you, you know, I took somebody, one, one of the church leaders out just recently for a, a, a visit and it was just one of those God moments where we were actually dealing with someone who wasn't a Christian. Uh, her, her little eight-year-old daughter who goes to a church school said, Mummy, 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 you must believe in God. And I just prayed with her and she was just in floods of tears. She was just in floods of tears because the presence of God was there in the midst of the room. So you might be like They have to come during the week. That's the only thing because most of my appointments are during the daytime. But if you want to become a befriender, do that. We run a job club for those people that are long-term unemployed, working on a Wednesday uh, during the daytime. You could join to help there if you would like to. A life skills course, helping people who are... Um, who are on benefits and have difficulty with managing their money. And and we teach them how to to work on a a low budget, how to cook better and all of that sort of stuff. Lots of really practical things. You could help there. Or come to it there if you need to do so. We literally... So you could be a life changer as well, as I said, is is if you wanted to give money, but I'm not asking for money this morning. Um, So... You know, we literally help those for whom the weight of debts got so serious that they consider suicide as the only way out of their problems. And that is a very real situation for many of the people that I deal with. They just feel the only way out of their financial problems is to end it all. And that's the seriousness of the people that we deal with. Now listen, if you need my help today... If what I've said to you said, listen, I, I don't want to bury my head anymore. I need help, someone to get me out of the debt that I'm in and I want you to help me with Christians Against Poverty. Here's my email. All right, uh, like that, you can drop me an email. But also I've got my work cards, uh, I've got a different email on it, but both will get me uh, out on the table in the foyer. Just take a card and please just email me and, and I'll book in an appointment to see you. Uh, We'll see if we can start uh, sorting your situation out. And as Kate mentioned last, we want to do the Cap Money course. All right, it's three weeks, starting next Sunday. Uh, We've already got quite a number of people booked on, and we've got a limit on it. So if you want to join the Cap Money course, please get onto it straight away. We can book through the the website, um, like that. So please do that. It's just an opportunity for anybody. Actually, you don't have to be in debt. To benefit from this, you will find lots of practical tips to help you manage your money better, so that you don't waste it. Do you know one of the things that I say to some people sometimes is just write down everything you spend. Write it down every time you spend anything. Use cash. Don't use. I mean, I love using contactless. It's quick. It's easy. But if you've got a problem, will you spend too much money? Use cash. Put you get yourself cash. Get yourself hundred pounds for the week, the beginning of the week, and when it's gone, it's gone. All right, and you go. You won't get into debt if you do that because it will. You'll remind yourself that it's actually a limit to what you've got. So, a second principle to financial flourishing is to be uh, to get to avoid debt. Finally, a little bit quicker. This one. Thirdly, be honest. Be honest. You know, we can't expect God to bless our finances if we're deliberately dishonest with what we have. You know, that Ephesians 6 says I mentioned earlier on, you know, don't work when their eyes are on you only. Work hard all the time. So here's a little checklist for for honest, not dishonest behaviour, checklist for honest behaviour. First of all, do I report all my income on my tax returns and are all my tax deductions legitimate? I remember I was in one church at one stage. They said, the government is the devil's... <laughs> they work for the devil. <laughs> the wrong party, obviously. And, and, so, um, <laughs> and so why should I give my money to them? We don't have their luxury. right? The, the, if you read in Romans 13, it says, This is why you pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. I remember the the, the story, if you've ever done the Alpha Course a few years ago, that they used to tell on that one. The guy that said wrote to the tax office, he said, I've just become a Christian and found I can't sleep at night. So here's a hundred pounds tax I owe. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) Do I care for the property of others as if it was my own? If you have borrowed something, return it. The Lord got me on this one, as I was preparing this sermon, because Matt put this list of things I had to put down there. I've to put it. He, he reminded me of some things I had that I borrowed, and I'd never returned them. <laughs> so they're going back to their owners because they're not mine. Yeah. I wonder what you have. Listen, this is is meant to be a challenge to every one of us this morning. What do you have in your house that is not yours? That you borrowed? Return it. Return it. It is not yours. Do you know, do you remember? um, We all remember Joshua won the Battle of Jericho, don't we? But Joshua lost the Battle of Ai, which was the next battle. Why? Why? Because someone called Achan took what did not belong to him and kept it, buried it in his tent. Couldn't use it, but he buried it in his tent. And for that reason, that whole nation was not blessed. So my request, my thought to you today is, if you've got something, you know, Christian books are one thing. Isn't it? You borrow a Christian book from someone and it's still on your bookshelf. you know, Or whatever, give it back. It doesn't belong to you. Really important. Do you have the habit of telling little white lies, not owning up to things when you've done something wrong? And I confess, I've done that. And I almost always get found out about it whenever I've done it. I've been very un- not unlucky. I'm glad God finds me out. Are you with me? I'm glad God finds me out. I'm glad He doesn't let me get away with what I shouldn't get away with. Do you ever misappropriate office supplies, stamps, or anything else that belongs to your employer? If I'm undercharged on a purchase, do I report it? You know, if if you get overcharged, I want to see the manager. If you get undercharged, oh, I'll just take it as mine. No, that's not being honest. Do I look out for the interests of others as well as my own? What's your reputation like at your place of work for being honest? And being trustworthy. I always remember the story, uh, with this I'll finish, that uh, was told of a guy called Gibbo who was uh, working for Gordon Selfridge. Remember, Selfridge's big department store in Oxford Street? And, um, and Gibbo was working for them. And uh, uh, Gordon's, the, the phone rang one day and he picked it up the phone. They said, I want to speak to Gordon Selfridge, please. And so uh, Gibbo said to Gordon Selfridge, you would you like to speak to him? He said, Tell them I'm not in. And, 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 and Gibbo replied and he says, you tell them you're not in. <laughs> Gordon Selfridge was furious as he took the thing. But afterwards, Gibbo said to him, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you and I will never lie. And after that, Gibbo became one of the most trusted employees that Gordon Selfridge ever had. And our reputation for being good and honest and trustworthy is worth its weight in gold. So three things. God wants you to prosper. But there's something that you and I can do to help that. Do you understand that? Something we can do to help that. First of all, work hard. Not too hard. (laughs) Not over hard, but work hard. Secondly, avoid debt. If you're in debt this morning, stop paying, giving your money to the credit card company. Get yourself out of debt so you can give your money to God and not give it to the credit card company. Or even just have some, some money you can save. It makes so much sense. And then finally, live honestly. In everything you do, live honestly and rightly. And if you've done some things wrong, be honest, open up about them. And and just allow your testimony to be that you are an honest and good person.